Uh, today marks the halfway point of our journey through the book of Hebrews in this series we've entitled The Supremacy of Christ. And if you're just joining us, here's the reason why we've called this series The Supremacy of Christ. Back in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, we were taught, we were, we were told, we were reminded that Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature which makes Christ superior to all the former prophets who pointed to him throughout the Old Testament, makes Christ superior to all the angels through whom the law of Moses was delivered by God to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. That's what we learned and we were reminded of in Hebrews 1 and 2. And then in chapters 3 and 4, we were taught and reminded that Christ is superior to Moses himself. And Christ is superior to Joshua, who led the Israelites into the promised land. And then, speaking of the promised land, Christ serves as the greater promised land, to whom the promised land, the territory, pointed. And, and Christ also serves as the greater Sabbath rest that remains to this day for all God's people. And then in chapters 5 and 6 and so far in chapter 7, we've been taught and we've been reminded that, that Christ is superior to the greatest figure in all Judaic history, Father Abraham himself, who had many sons. <laughs> and being superior to Abraham and arising from the superior priestly order of Melchizedek, Christ is superior to the entire Levitical priesthood whose importance within Judaism could not be overstated. If you're following all of this, even if you're just joining us for this brief recap, if you're following any of this, if you're picking up just a little bit of what the book of Hebrews has been putting down, you may be starting to see what the writer of this book intended for his original Jewish Christian audience to see. And that is this. The crucified and resurrected Christ is not only the supreme and climactic crescendo of God's redemptive story, but Christ is the guarantor of a new and better covenant that is a new way of being brought near to God and belonging to God forever. The new covenant in Christ is far superior to the old Mosaic covenant. And Lord willing, next week in chapter 8, the writer of Hebrews will have a lot to say about this new covenant, but suffice it to say this, what has been said again and again and again throughout this series and what, Lord willing, will continue to be said again and again. Suffice it all to say this, the crucified and resurrected Christ reigns supreme. He is the climactic crescendo of the Bible, of all redemptive history. And if you have Christ through faith, if you, if you simply Trust him. If you have Christ, you have it all. 
If you behold Christ, you behold it all. And if you right now, with even just a little bit of faith, are awaiting Christ and his return, then you await it all. There is nothing more that you can gain. There's nothing deeper to which we must graduate and into which we must explore. I mean, to learn and to know, to understand, to work through the concepts of the Bible, we ought to be growing in it. But Christ is the magnum opus of all God's word. And if you have him, you have it all. You have it all. And so in our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, the writer of Hebrews continues his chapter-long argument that Christ is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Now, okay, so you and I, uh, most of us, I would presume, are Christians, uh, but all of us, I, we're 21st century and we're in America, right? So 21st century American Christians for the most part, you and I probably don't bat an eye when we hear that Christ is superior to the Levitical priesthood. It, we, we probably think to ourselves, yeah, so? So Christ is superior to the Levitical priesthood. But for the first century Jewish Christians to whom this book, this letter, was first written, Christ's superiority over the Levitical priesthood, man, it would have been difficult to swallow, really difficult to swallow. The priesthood was central to everything, everything, per the law of Moses, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest of the Levitical priesthood would carry out a task upon which the whole nation of Israel depended. He would secure God's forgiveness for the sins that the people and he had committed that previous year by taking the blood of an ox and a goat into the Holy of Holies of the Temple Tabernacle and within the temple tabernacle, holy of holies, the high priest would intercede for the people in the presence of God by sprinkling the blood of the ox and the goat in front of the mercy seat atop the Ark of the Covenant. This once-a-year task is what secured God's forgiveness for past sins and there were other daily sacrifices and offerings that would be made. But go back with me to what I said just a moment ago. You and I, 21st century Americans, we don't really bat an eye when we hear of Christ's superiority over the Levitical priesthood. But for the Jews who were the first to receive this letter, this book that we call the book of Hebrews... The Levitical priesthood had brokered their relationship with God for 1,500 years. The Levitical priesthood was so central to everything they thought and taught and believed and walked out to hear that one is superior to the whole priesthood. That was a spoonful. It was hard. And the notion that Christ is superior enough to render the whole Levitical priesthood obsolete would have taken their breath away. 
So now in Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 28, the writer of Hebrews spills yet more ink as to why Christ is greater than and superior to the Levitical priesthood. I would invite you to follow along, whether in your Bible or on your device. Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 28. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, praise you for your most excellent wisdom in sending your son to be not only our final sacrifice, but our great high priest who ever lives and pleads for us. And Jesus, we praise you and give you glory for it all. And Holy Spirit, we now ask you to give us understanding of this passage that we would marvel at Christ who saves us to the uttermost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think that summary statements are helpful, especially in the book of Hebrews, which can be a little hard to understand. I think summary statements are helpful, and, and here's how I would summarize this passage that we've just read in a single statement. I would say this, what the Levitical priests could not do, Christ is doing right now and forever. And so if you're a note taker, let's just simply take that two-part statement and we'll make it a two-point summary. Number one, what the Levitical priests could not do. Number two, Christ is doing right now and forever. Number one, what the Levitical priests could not do. In verse 23... The writer of Hebrews, he, he zooms out to 30,000 feet and he refers to all the former high priests who had ever served throughout Israel's history. And, 
At this point in time, first century, probably in, 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 in Rome, but just first century in general, at this point, by this point, Israel had had a lot of high priests. And they'd had a lot of them, not because the high priests were just a bunch of millennials who got bored with their jobs and moved on and took on a different task. No, that's not it. The writer of Hebrews states why. He says why Israel had had a lot of high priests in verse 23. Each one of them, like every other human being, eventually died. Death was the reason why the high priestly ephod had to be continually passed down. And this right here is one of, was one of, the glaring limitations of the Levitical priesthood. I mean, just simply put, they could not hold their position. Uh, even the best of the high priests was temporary. Though his intercessory work was critical, his tenure was uncertain. And, and because of this, because of the transient nature of the Levitical priests, all of Israel had to constantly be chewing through these questions. Every Jew had on his or her mind, I wonder how long this high priest will last. I wonder who the next high priest will be. And do you think that that next high priest is ready for the task? I mean, it's intense. Surely the next high priest knows how serious the work is. And surely... Whomever that next high priest is, surely he is doing all that he can right now to live a, a, a holy life, preparing for the task of interceding for us before God. Right? There was, there was a transience, a temporal, futile nature to the Levitical priests. It was a glaring limitation but even my rhetorical questions or, or the, the conversation I just played out between the Jews, right? Even that leads to another glaring limitation. We see it. It's implied in the middle of verse 27. The Levitical priesthood, they couldn't escape their own bondage to sin. Even the best, I, we'll call it this, even the, the holiest, the most righteous of the Levitical priests well, he had to offer sacrifices for his own sins before he could even offer a sacrifice for the atonement of the people. The priest, no matter how righteous and holy, the, the, the holiest of all the Levitical priests, had to be forgiven of his own sin before he could secure forgiveness for anyone else. Now, imagine with me that you... This is a silly illustration, and... Those things happen often with me. But imagine you signed up for swim lessons, all right? And you get to the pool, and you put your towel over on the chair, and you, you dip into the water only to realize that the lifeguard who is responsible for everyone else in the pool is simultaneously learning how to swim right next to you, <laughs> right? Right, he's got his whistle around his neck, but his floaties are on too, and his nose plugger, and like, like, wait a minute, wait, what, this guy? Wait, you're responsible to keep everyone else above water, and you can't stay above water? Right? Right? He's supposed to be keeping everyone else safe, but he's wearing his own floaties, even 
the best of the high priests in the Levitical priesthood, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins before they could offer on behalf of the people. And this brings us to another, a third, final for our morning right now, a, a, a final glaring limitation of the Levitical priesthood that's made clear in this passage. Even on their best day, their, their most righteous day, if you will, even after the high priest had done everything God required correctly, after they'd made the sacrifice outside the temple tabernacle, after they'd transported the blood behind the curtain, after they'd sprinkled the blood in front of the mercy seat atop the ark on the day of atonement, even after the high priests had done everything that God required of them correctly, it was never enough to save anyone. Ever. As implied in, in, in verse 25, only Christ could save sinners and save them to the uttermost. You see, the, the high priests, they could secure forgiveness for sins that had already been committed that year. But when all was said and done, it was like putting a band-aid over a tumor. Because even after doing everything correctly, they could not soften and convict and cleanse and captivate and cure the source of all sin, the heart. They could do nothing about the heart. It's not as though the Levitical priesthood had somehow failed to do what God designed them to do. God is so much wiser and more methodical than that. Verse 28 explains, God didn't design the Levitical priesthood and the Mosaic system to last in a salvific way. He designed it to prepare the way for the one who would. Verse 28 says, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, that one that was quoted back in verse 21 from Psalm 110, that, that, that promise from God that came later than the law, the word of the oath appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. What the Levitical priests and the Mosaic system could do, what it was designed to do, and what it could do, was reveal the need and prepare the way for the Son of God who could do what they could not, save sinners. The Levitical priesthood could not hold their position they couldn't escape their own bondage to sin and they could not save sinners. This is what the Levitical priests could not do, point number one, point number two. But what they could not do, listen to the active present tense, Christ is doing. 
right now and forever. Active, present tense. Christ is actively, presently doing right now and forever. Look back with me. Verses 23 and 24. The former priests were, they were, many in number because they would eventually die like everyone else, but, but not Christ. Theologian Philip Hughes writes this. It is true that Christ did die on the cross. And it's true that his death was the essential priestly offering for our sins. But his death was not the termination of his priesthood, nor was it the moment of its transition from him to someone else, because Christ rose from the grave as the victor over death, and he now continues as our sole and ever-living high priest forever. The amen. The former priests were many in number because eventually they would die like everyone else, but not Christ because he holds. He holds right now. He holds it down. He holds his priesthood above the heavens. He holds it permanently. He continues forever. And so you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, we needn't wonder who our high priest might be and how long he'll be in the office of high priest like the, like the Jews once for centuries wondered. We don't need to wonder who's, who's going to replace our great high priest when he dies or retires because he's not like some sort of elected official who sits at a desk that will inevitably be occupied by someone else in two to four years. He's permanent. He's, 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 he's permanent. Do you understand, brother or sister in Christ, do you understand the permanence of Christ's role on your behalf? Do you really believe him to be there, dependable, reliable, representing you before the Father just as much right now as when you first came to faith in him. Go back to my earlier illustration. Christ is the lifeguard we want on the tower. He's not learning to swim, as we see in verse 26. Unlike the Levitical priesthood, man, we've got a great high priest. Look at his credentials. Christ is holy. He's completely set apart. Our advocate, our representative, the one who is right now before the throne of heaven saying, you, you you're my son. You're my daughter. The father saying that through Jesus, of course. But look at his credentials. Completely set apart, pleasing to the father. You're with him. You're in Christ. You're with him. Altogether capable. Jesus was of the work of redemption. Unlike the Levitical priesthood, our mediator, our intercessor, our high priest is completely innocent. No one can say that. As the writer of Hebrews, as we see in verse 26, holy, innocent. He lived a blameless life that never at any point waned morally. Unlike the Levitical priesthood, Christ is unstained completely. As Raymond Brown comments, 
Nothing ever remotely impure ever marred Christ's beautiful, sinless life. And he is standing in the gap for you and for me. When, when the Father looks down upon us, he sees this beautiful, sinless, unstained innocence and beauty of Christ. Unlike the Levitical priesthood, Christ lived his earthly life separated from sinners. And Brown continues here. Although Christ moved freely and lovingly among us, he was entirely given over to God's will and was in no sense compromised by his constant contact with sinners. He was in the world and not of it to the T. Amen. And now, unlike the Levitical priesthood, Christ lives an exalted life. He has passed through the heavens to the throne of God. And in doing so, it is the final seal of God's perfect approval. Christ's perfect life was accepted before God on our behalf and his saving self-sacrifice has been rendered fully effective for you and me who are in Christ. And so unlike the Levitical priesthood, Christ saves. I love verse 25. Consequently, he is able, that is, he is currently right now at this moment ongoingly able to save to completion. That is, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him because he ongoingly lives to make intercession for them. So hear this with me for a second. Let's just take, I'll, I'll exhale, take a moment. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, the author of Hebrews is writing this, especially this passage. He is writing this to people who already belonged to God through faith in Christ, Okay. But we would be remiss to read through verse 25. We'd be remiss if this verse did not spark in us a fire of prayer for lost souls. We would be remiss. Look at that. Look at that verse 20, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to absolute perfect completion those who draw near to God through him, since even right now he is living to make intercession. What's the name of, you don't have to say this out loud, the name of a, of a friend or family member, co-worker, neighbor, who you know is not walking with Christ, who you know does not know Jesus. I would encourage you, Maybe this week, maybe just for the rest of this day when we dismiss, set an alarm on your phone for every hour to just ring at the top of the hour and lift that person up by name because there is a great high priest who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to the Father through him. Lift them up. And maybe, you know what, if you get some traction, do it again tomorrow if the Lord gives us a new day. And let's all be doing that together. We'd be remiss to read through verse 25 and not, and not have that mission's flame fanned in our hearts. But conversely, at the same time, I should say, verse 25, the writer of Hebrews is writing it to people who are standing. Right now, they are in Christ through faith. And the, 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 this truth is, is mind-boggling 
when we think of it this way, that Christ has saved us. He accomplished that on the cross of Calvary. And Christ will save us, all of those who are in Christ, upon that last day when the trumpet resounds, Christ will save us from the judgment of God. So he has and he will, but he is also our great high priest right now interceding and saving us right now. Active, present, tense. He is, as the writer of Paul, the Philippians writer, verse, chapter one, verse seven, he is, Christ is finishing what he started in you right now. He's finishing it. It, you're in process, as am I, and Christ is the quarterback there. He's driving that. He is willing and working in you for his good pleasure, Philippians 2, 13. Active present tense. You're not some sort of project that, oh, well, he, now he's saved, and, and we can just let him coast and, and glide until the end when I, when I save him from, from, from judgment. No, 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 no. No, active present tense. He, he is right now interceding. And when was the last time this thought coursed through your mind? Or when, maybe when was the last time that you were told that Christ in heaven, by interceding for you right now, is doing so prayerfully? Our great high priest, the great high priestly prayer. And look at, look at this too, or not look at this, but just I'll, I'll read it for you. Listen to this from 1 John 2, 1. This helps me to think through what Jesus, my great high priest, is doing for me right now. The apostle John writes this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Praise God, he doesn't stop there. But if anyone does sin, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father right now. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous, the holy, the innocent, the unstained, the set apart, the one who is now exalted above the heaven. After having, end of verse 27, offering, after he's offered up himself as the sacrifice. You see all these. It's mind-boggling to me to really try to get to the bottom of, of, of all the roles that Christ plays in my salvation and in yours. The perfect sacrifice and the reigning forever high priest pleading his own blood over you and me. He offered himself up and there he stands exalted at the right hand of the Father. I always love and I appreciate how uh, Pastor Ed, during our confession of sin, we do not, those of us who are in Christ, we do not approach confession of sin from a salvific standpoint. We are approaching confession of sin as those who have already been completely forgiven and cleansed, but we are bringing our attention, our attention, that we have attention of our sinfulness to the Father, crying out, I'm so sorry that I continue to return to vomit like a dog, right? I am so sorry. Would you please remind me that I am cleansed? Forgive me. Restore unto me a right spirit and renew. Renew a right spirit in me and restore unto me the joy of salvation, right? Uh, that's, that's the idea, but we're coming as those who have already been adopted by the crucified through the crucified and resurrected Christ who reigns supreme. And so here's, here's an invitation. I'll go back to the invitation that I think is, is, is really 
It's tucked away in verse 25. Christ Jesus is indeed, and he is the only, who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. If you're here and you've not yet actually been told this, I'd be honored to be the one to tell you. Your greatest need in this life is to be made right with the God who made you. You've sinned, and maybe not as much as I have. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short, but I would urge you, I would plead with you. While this way is open, the way, the truth, and the life, while this is open, while he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near, draw near to him. Come near, confess your sin. Say, I'm a sinner. Confess that out loud and say, I need you, Jesus, righteous Jesus, holy Jesus, your death and resurrection. I need you to wash me. I need you to present me as holy and acceptable for the God that I have sinned against. Because if I don't, punishment is coming. Consequence is coming. And I urge you to do that. To do that right now in your heart, right where you sit. I urge you to do that. And if you have questions, grab me, grab it. Grab any of the pastors. I'm, shoot, I would even grab anyone and, and start working through that because this is the most important. Your greatest need is to be made right with the God who created you and without Christ, you're walking apart from him. And so I would, I would urge that. And brothers and sisters who are in Christ, recall this when the voice of the accuser whispers in your ear. When he tells you of all your sin. Yeah, I'm a sinner. But I have, and my sin is great, but I have an even greater high priest who is standing for me and pleading for me now, and I will go to him. I will silence you by going to him. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me and lead me in the way everlasting. Silence the accuser by going to the great high priest who ever lives and pleads for you. There is no condemnation there. And his is the voice that surpasses understanding, silences the accuser, and fills your heart with the kind of peace that you and I crave. Let's do that together. And I would also remind you of the challenge. Set an alarm today on your phone and cry out. Cry out for those people by name, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, who you know they do not know Christ. They're not working or walking with Christ Pray for them by name and call out with a serious confidence, a serious zeal, for consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to the Father through him. Amen? Let's pray and we'll continue to, to sing. Father, now and, and ever, we thank you for your word. And I thank you, we thank you for our great high priest. You in your most excellent wisdom saw fit to, to send him. And Jesus, you came so willingly to be our final sacrifice and our forever high priest who ever lives and pleads for us by your own blood. It's astounding. It really is astounding. And, and it, I think it's an apologetic for the validity of, of, of faith and life with you. No mere mortal could have possibly made all of this up. It's deep, and it sings to our souls. Holy Spirit, we praise you and thank you for the word you inspired through the pen of whomever it was that wrote the letter of Hebrews. And we ask that you'd give us understanding continually. 
And help us to marvel at Christ. Help us to marvel at this, that if we have Christ, we have it all. If we behold Christ, we behold it all. If we await Christ, we await it all. Glory, glory, hallelujah, yes and amen in Jesus' name. Amen.